0: You are listening to The 21st Folio, a podcast about modern Shakespeare productions of stage and screen. The podcast is a subsidiary of The 7th Row, an online publication dedicated to interdisciplinary film and theater criticism. You can find us on Twitter at seventh row with the number 7 spelled out or online at 7th-row.com. That's row dot com. Welcome to the 21st Folio podcast, a podcast about modern Shakespeare productions. Today we'll be discussing the Barbican's production of Hamlet, which stars Benedict Cumberbatch and is directed by Lindsay Turner. It's the fastest selling production in London theater history. and it's been broadcast to cinemas around the world by National Theatre Live. and I believe it's also the fastest selling and/or possibly most sold out ever National Theatre live production. Because of Benedict Cumberbatch, who is well known as uh, TV Sherlock. So today, uh, let's, I want to just sort of introduce our guest that will be talking about the production today. I am Alex Heaney. I'm the editor-in-chief of The Seventh Row. I'm a theater and film critic, uh, and you can find me on Twitter at bwestcineast. We also have today Mary Angela Rowe from The Seventh Row. Hello,
1: I'm a contributing editor at The Seventh Row, and you can find me at at lapsedvictorian at Twitter.
0: And we also have Craig Rattan.
2: Hi, Craig Rattan here. I am a Torontonian and avid amateur theatre enthusiast, and I'm on Twitter at CRUT, C-R-U-T.
0: And from New Zealand, we have David Larson.
3: Hi, I am a film reviewer for New Zealand's Metro Magazine, and you can find me on Twitter at Lemming. Great.
0: So let's uh, sort of start and jump into the production. Maybe we can start by getting an idea of did people like it? (laughs) um we all have very mixed feelings about it i guess
2: that's definitely my feeling i really wanted to like it and there were things in it that i really did like but overall i was pretty torn on how effective it was particularly as a film
1: yeah i mean at the outset since you raised that I, i wanted to say that like the filming of this production was particularly bad compared to other National Theatre Live things that I've seen.
0: Not as bad as Macbeth with Kenneth Brano, which was all close-ups. So all right, I'll so take your-
1: shouty. But, like, this was an awful lot of close-ups, especially for something that had a vast stage, and a stage that they clearly wanted to show off, because there was so much going on at any given time. It really- I felt like there was- there were huge chunks of the play that I wasn't seeing because we were too busy focusing on the intricacies of someone's facial expressions, which aren't visible from the, you know, 25th row
3: anyway. I think it's think a very fair comment. And yet it didn't much trouble me while I was watching it. It, mm-hmm. it was, I went back and looked at selected bits of it afterwards. Um, I watched it online. I was given access to a screener, which was very, very nice of our local distributors. So I was able to flick back and forwards and there were moments definitely where I was suddenly becoming aware, oh, the audience I can hear them reacting to something that I'm not able to see and that is mm-hmm. quite dramatic um, but the first time I watched it through didn't really find myself too distracted by that the issue for me was what I experienced as a huge difference in performance standard across the cast so <laughs> yeah I, uh, I liked Cumberbatch I think rather more than some of you did I'm, I'm only guessing and remembering what I've seen Alex say on Twitter. <laughs> I want to good... <laughs> um, I'm, I'm pretty much pro Cumberbatch, which may be something we can discuss shortly, but I thought he was not nearly as good as Chiara and Hines. And their, he... scenes, their scenes together, I was really distracted by the sense that I was seeing two different classes of acting kind of mm. smooshed together into a scene. And the two of them together were so much better than nearly everybody else in the cast. My God, some of the <laughs> cast members in particular, such a bad Horatio. I've never before realised what a crucial part Horatio is. He's so small. But if you have someone who just keeps talking like this in this very overwrought way in every six, <laughs> it does so much damage to the play. And Thanks. there were various other things like that.
0: That's so oh. funny because I mean I think you're right about Horatio, but I also felt like that was one of the few ways in which it was well directed. Like not and I'm not saying his speech was good, but they did a really good job of making him look like an outsider because he was Horatio with a backpack, the hobo. <laughs> <laughs>
1: hobo, he was like a wandering <laughs> political science major. Or okay,
0: but you really felt like he did not a completely
3: different decade from everybody else well, in terms yes. of threat.
0: Yeah. But, I mean, and, I, like, he never put his backpack down. Like, Hamlet really doesn't like him enough to, like, give him a place to put his <laughs> He
2: doesn't trust anyone with good reason.
0: <laughs> but, like, if he let him put his backpack down, he could, you know, look through it. If he doesn't <laughs> trust her, I don't know. Anyway, um, so I thought that was, like, one of the few good things about the production vision is that it gave a good idea of like who Horatio was which I don't think has anything to do with the actor it's just the costume and how he was wielded
2: Hmm.
0: I think my view of the production was that it was extremely uneven um, and that goes to Benedict Cumberbatch's performance I don't think it's entirely his fault though I think it's like the director was so had no idea what she was trying to do. And so you would get one line of his that was like, oh, that was really great. And then the next line would be like, well, that was lame. And it just felt like he did not get enough help or um, support from the director. And that if he'd been working with someone else, he could have been a great Hamlet. And in this, I kind of felt he was okay with flashes of greatness.
3: Well, that's interesting. Can you give me an example? Because I agree that it's a very uneven production and there were lots of ways in which I thought it was somewhat adrift. But I found the unevenness specifically of his performance kind of, I read it as intended. I read it as, um, this is a very confused Hamlet. This is a Hamlet who really does not know what's going on in his own mind and is essentially discovering himself in the act of speaking to us a lot of the time, which in a lot of ways I enjoyed.
0: Oh, that's generous. Um,
3: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) generous. You may term it idiotic, but it's not generous. (laughs) (laughs) Um,
0: I guess it felt like sometimes when we were listening to him give his soliloquies, I would think, oh, that's like, I really feel like he's thinking through this line as he's saying it. Mm-hmm. And it would be like, oh, wow, this is great. And then the next line of dialogue, like literally the next line, it would be like, I don't know what that means and I don't, and, what is he saying? And not like he's, and I mean, this is not fair because, well, I guess it is, I don't know. I saw the Nicholas Heitner production that starred Rory Kinnear as Hamlet. Nice. I think is like basically brilliant and good luck ever trying to talk that. So <laughs> maybe when I see Ben Wishaw's Hamlet, I'll say, okay, with with Trevor Nunn. But that. Rory Kinnear, and you can see some of his mo- his soliloquies online. It's like you really feel like he's thinking through as he talks, and there's fits and starts, and you really understand everything he's saying and how confused and like how much thinking is going on. And I felt like as I was watching Benedict Cumberbatch doing that, I was like, oh, he's sort of getting there. And then afterwards, I watched Rory Kinnear, and I was like, oh, he's trying. And I just feel like I feel like the the production just seems like they didn't have enough time to. Put things together, and that's maybe partly because, like, because it was such a big production, big big deal. It was getting a lot of press, and so they, they sent people. Um, newspapers sent press to the preview nights, which you don't do. Press are not supposed to be there at the previews. Previews are for, are basically glorified dress rehearsals where you're supposed to be sorting things out. And at the first preview, some newspapers do a lot of controversy published actual reviews, and that's how we know things like originally the "to be or not to be" speech opened the play. And it got so much bad press that she moved that. Um, Although the whole production has stuff, like, all over the place.
3: But, my God, why would you do that? Um, They opened it with to be or not to be. That's amazing.
0: (laughs) Yeah.
3: (laughs) How how do we read that? Quick responses. Why would you put that first? Where would you go from there?
1: (laughs) Without context, that speech doesn't mean anything.
0: Yeah. Like, it's just... I under, my understanding is her rationale for it was that, like, it's such a big thing that they just wanted to bring people in and be like, yeah, okay, so he did his to be or not to be, now let's pay attention to the play. Uh, so-
2: part of me actually loves that approach, the, like, releasing the pressure valve of getting it out of the way, because there's no even, you know, there's no way for any of us to watch a production of Hamlet and still not, as soon as we know that's coming up, look solely towards it, and it's so impossible as an audience member, I think, who's familiar with the text or as a actor playing Hamlet to <laughs> approach it as a part of the text.
0: Yeah, I, was, I was watching this interview with Mark Rylance, where he was talking about playing Hamlet um, at some small theater. And when he was young and would make a lot of pauses, and he was saying that when he was doing the to be or not to be speech, he went to be or not to be. And this is when he was young and, and he paused for a long time. And some woman in the front row turned to her <laughs> husband <laughs> quite loudly. That is the question. <laughs> and so then he was forced to, like, to say to her, that is the question.
2: <laughs> but I mean, they also chose to open the play off text as well, right? They yeah, they moved yeah. the opening scene and cut in straight away to uh, to Hamlet.
0: Yeah, which I have very mixed feelings about.
2: I loved it.
3: I thought that really worked. Um, They do something with that later. They use that same, the music that they open to. um, They call back to it during the final duel, which I loathed and I can see no good Mm. reason for. But as an opening, I thought it worked really well.
0: I think I agree with you. My problem is that they kept, that they then kept the scene and they put it later. And they put the two ghost scenes back to back. That I think if you want to open like that, you have to get rid of Fortinbras and just make that a cut from the play. Because... Yeah. You lose the entire circular structure of, like, he's coming, he's coming, you know, the kingdom is doomed, and then they're dealing with their little family drama, and ultimately it doesn't really matter. And if you put the, like, it doesn't really matter in the middle, it's just, like, why? Why didn't they just cut out Fortinbras entirely? Because I agree with you, I liked the way it sort of places you in Hamlet's shoes, and it places you with the characters yep. at the beginning. I thought, oh, that's really interesting, and sort of like behind closed doors before you get into the like public speech of the banquet with Claudio, and which is a literal wedding banquet in
1: yeah, which I actually quite like productions.
0: It's, yes, it was
1: very emotionally forceful.
0: Uh, yes, yeah, so they had the literal <laughs> food from the funeral, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So I liked that, um, but then I just feel like if you're going to do that, you, you have to cut the first scene, not move it into the middle.
3: Yeah. No, that does make sense. And from what you say, that was done on the fly and at the last minute, so I suppose you can understand them failing to think that through. But that seems a shame. Yeah. It sounds like in a lot of ways this production was perhaps um, more of a good draft than, uh, than a final vision.
0: Yeah, and I mean, I should say, like, to give context for some of – some of the other Hamlets that have been done, like the Nicholas Heitner one that I'm gonna just praise like crazy, um, that National Theatre Live did broadcast a few years ago and I really hope they give an encore of because if you're only gonna see one Hamlet, it should be that one, not Benedict Cumberbatch's. Um, but they had been planning that Hamlet for like three years um, and before they even started rehearsals, Nick Heitner and Rory Kinnear who played Hamlet, they were doing text work for a year and then, and then I, they must have had a regular rehearsal period, but, like, they had already figured out, like, who Hamlet was and had done a whole ton of text work before they even started the rehearsals with the company. Um, and it's just so clear that that, is, that did not happen in this production.
1: Did anyone else get the sense that, like, some of the cast were in a totally different production than some of the other cast?
2: Are, is there anyone you're thinking of in particular?
1: Uh, well, quite apart from the fact that Claudius kept stealing the show. I wasn't really... Sh- I felt like Gertrude and Hamlet were not in the same production.
2: Yep. Yep, definitely. I'm on and... a different stage there. Pardon? Oh, really? I, I really liked the Hamlet-Gertrude relationship.
1: Really? Okay.
2: Uh, I found it particular particularly... So, first half, I agree, was maybe uneven or didn't really stand out. But mm-hmm. from the scene with the heiress mm-hmm. after... Hamlet murders Polonius Mm -hmm. uh, I saw like sort of a a genuine parental connection there that I think is often missing from these productions where Gertrude's just turned into a witch or a well meaning queen but not a mother and I saw a real maternal instinct there when and when he actually reveals and and she seems to buy into and and understand that he's acting the antic disposition and Mm -hmm. protects him then for the for the rest of the play.
1: Yeah, but any connection between the two of them is completely absent until that scene. And that scene, too, like, I mean, to talk about
0: some of the problems with the staging, like, it's Gertrude sitting on a little stool and Hamlet talking
1: down to her. And then there's, like... you do that in the Branagh Hamlet, too, right? Like,
0: Oh, which is,
1: like, the greatest Hamlet ever! <laughs> you know how I feel about that Hamlet, but... I know!
3: How do you feel about that Hamlet? I do not know. Uh,
1: I'm not a huge fan of it. It's like technically accomplished, and I don't enjoy watching it at all.
3: It took me three sittings
1: to watch it. Yeah, but that's because it's like four and a half hours long. Yeah,
3: <laughs> that film drives me insane. Yeah. We were watching bits of it this morning, and I'd forgotten just how much some of the editing just grates. It's, but yep. I do feel a lot of the acting in that production hugely intelligent. Anyway, different <laughs> conversation. <laughs> but I, this line
1: reading. Anyway, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs>
3: I would like to have that conversation, but <laughs> you're probably right. Um, we shouldn't have it now. Gertrude and Hamlet have such different approaches to the Shakespearean language. Cumberbatch, I like mostly what he does with the language in that I feel as if he really is discovering himself in it moment to moment. And I can, I can see both how that might seem improvised and untidy and how in various line readings it might annoy you. But there's a spontaneity to it, which I just don't get in that in that scene with Gertrude, mm-hmm. where she's emotionally overwrought. She starts imposing these pauses on the verse. Um, she starts just speaking like this and snatches, and it's so really difficult for her to keep speaking. And you can you can get the sense of the emotion, but it just butches the text. Mm-hmm. Um, and that combined with his approach, it just it does feel like two people from different scenes, if not different productions, forced to work together.
0: So I guess what I liked about Cumberbatch's approach to the verse is that he seems to acknowledge it without going over the top, I guess. Like what a lot of scholars suggest the way you should speak verse is that you should pause at the end of each line of the verse. And that slight pause is where you think up what you're going to say next. And I feel like he does that, and he acknowledges the verse, but he does also doesn't pause too long, that it allows you to feel the wheels turning, and that it's like not as mm-hmm. though he's ignoring the fact that verse exists. I think, right.
1: uh, with respect to David's comment, my problem with Cumberbatch's performance wasn't that he seemed to be discovering it as he went along, which as Alex said, is actually a strength. It makes you feel like this is someone who's genuinely thinking aloud in his soliloquies as opposed to sort of reading off a prepared speech. Um, My problem was that he'd go from like moments of that moments of where you felt like you were watching this man's stream of consciousness, a highly organized stream of consciousness into moments where it seemed like he was, there'd just be a line reading that was flat, you know? Yeah. You'd go from a beautiful soliloquy into I am reading words on a page that had, that felt like they had no emotive significance that felt like it was like, I don't know why you as a character are saying this to this person right now. And you don't know either.
0: I mean, I would say that that happens within the soliloquies. You'd have one line that was beautiful. And then the next line would be like, did you even think about it?
2: Yeah.
1: And Alex and I chatted about this briefly before the podcast. And both of us were wondering, we don't know how much of this is, Cumberbatch, because I was actually quite optimistic about the Cumber Hamlet, and Alex was not. Alex, I got a lot of eye rolling over this. Um, like, you want to do what? Fine, I guess we can do that. Um, but neither of us was sure how much of it was Benedict Cumberbatch's fault and how much of this was his director. Yeah. And which is sort of a segue into what the heck was going on with this production. <laughs> Yeah. Because it felt, it honestly, it felt a little bit like a fiasco. Yeah. There were just there were a lot of ambitions, and there were a lot of big sweeping themes that this production wanted to bring out, and the ultimate result was quite messy. Yeah,
2: and Which I think it's really did, interesting, right? Because they toss usually when there's a star Hamlet and a focus on that, then you they usually let the production take a backseat. And mm-hmm. just let it be a let it be a platform for the actor, which is I don't think the right approach either. But you're right here. They went almost too far to the other extreme and mm-hmm. turned it into a ocean of any design and textual ideas they wanted to throw at it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's a, that's a good way of putting it, because I think what a lot of directors will say is that the way you do Shakespeare is you have to do it as though it's for the first time. And you can't go in with a bunch of ideas and be like, here are the ideas we're going to, to discuss. You have to go to the text and then you figure out who the characters are and you don't put on a here are my ideas and I felt like the show was very much look I have an idea why don't we put him with a drum and have him walk on tables and have the women crawl on floors and Mm -hmm. like look at all of our ideas and it just didn't seem like that that came out of text work um and that's probably why some of the line readings are problematic that I just didn't feel like their process was let's do serious text work. It was like, I have these ideas and here's where I'm going to place you on the stage. And here's Mm. what you're going to do. And I feel like, I think, I mean, I love complaining about Benedict Cumberbatch just because I'm a jerk, but, um, (laughs) 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 um, and because I think he has a tendency to have like huge ticks that nobody likes to check like physical and vocal ticks in his performances. Mm -hmm. And so I was kind of worried that that was going to happen with, Hamlet, though I think he also is very good at displaying intelligence and thought processes. So I was like, I don't know, is it going to be a disaster or is it going to be good? And I feel like the production does a disservice to him and I feel like the, I don't get the impression that Lindsay Turner drilled him until he could do those speeches perfectly. Like, I mean, I think Tom Hiddleston is a great actor, but I feel like his Henry V would not have been as great if Sia Sharik had not like taken him running every morning and made him go over every single speech over and over and over and over and over until he could say it perfectly as though it was something new. And I just don't think that kind of text work happened with this Hamlet.
3: Okay. I have two difficulties here. The first is that although you're you're both, um, Alex and Emma, you're, you're articulating a very clear response to Cumberbatch's line readings. And I respect that, but I just didn't share it. Mm-hmm. Um that's not my experience i I now want to go back and listen again and see if I can hear what you're hearing and i honestly I might Hamlet I should probably have said this at the start of the great plays is the one I know the least well i've resisted it for years i've only seen a handful of productions and I kind of like the fact that I come to it relatively ignorant it's kind of it's kind of interesting I'm mm-hmm. um, going to one of the great Shakespeare plays and just not having been drilled in it from childhood and made to study it and blah 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 um but at the same time i feel like you guys probably have a much better grounding for this than i do when i talk about someone discovering themselves in the language of the great of, of the soliloquies in the play it's partly that i'm discovering the language as i hear them um which does make me less well positioned to hear when a line is falling flat i'm just as likely to hear it as oh that was uh, that was an interesting choice he made there he uh he just didn't put so much emphasis on that, and I didn't understand it. But that's me. That's not him. So there's that. My other, my other thing is that I completely agree with you that it's a very uneven production. But how do we feel about the word fiasco? Because I feel like <laughs> you're, you're doing a triple underlining
1: there.
3: <laughs> <a little> <laughs> I sign on for. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I would, I would tell people, go to this. It's interesting. Don't expect the moon. Which is If it were a fiasco, I would say run run as fast as you can do not spend your money on this thing it lasts three and a half hours and it's a fiasco why would you go to it
0: yeah i I mean i have very mixed feelings about whether to call it a fiasco or not because i think my big problem with it is i came out of it i was like i did not learn anything new about the play from about the text from having watched this and i feel like a good hamlet has something to say and has something new and will make you see the text in a new way like, in the summer, we, I went to the Sh- Stratford Festival with um, M.A., and we saw this production of Hamlet that cut out all of the political stuff,
2: mm-hmm. and it
0: basically turned it into a family drama about how, like, my mom got remarried, and, like, they just don't care about my feelings. And... We really, really like well, I,
1: we had very both interesting. of us liked it. People Alex liked liked it. really liked it. Yeah. So I was also I, a fan I, of that
0: the production. Emma thought it was good. We talked about it at <laughs> She instantiated the second half. <laughs> <laughs> I loved the second half. So um but it like it made a lot of interesting cuts. Um that we didn't even notice until two hours later. We we're like, Where was that speech? Why didn't he talk about how Denmark is sick? What happened? And it made us think about, like, we'd never really thought about the family drama in that kind of level of detail that that play put on. And it didn't do a great job with the politics because it cut it out. But Mm -hmm. it had something new to say. Whereas I feel like Lindsay Turner's production doesn't make enough interesting cuts to, like, have a real focus.
1: Which is funny because they do so much screwing around with where stuff is in the text. And Mm -hmm. it all comes to naught, basically. Because you're like, I don't know why you did this. It was fine where it was.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, I agree. I agree with everything specific you're saying.
1: <laughs> and I
0: think so. My my view of it is like maybe it's an okay production if you haven't seen a production of Hamlet before, because like, you know, they do the lines, like you can follow what happens. But I also feel like if you're gonna see one production of Hamlet, like why see this one? And I feel so. I'm so kind of. I just feel the, 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 the world that this Claudius. Claudius. Yeah, okay, yeah. Claudius was good. um... But, like, Polonius was terrible, and we saw an amazing Polonius in the summer. And so I was just like, <sighs> wait a minute. <laughs> why, why would you even? Yep.
2: Um,
1: And... So I did kind of like sassy Polonius. <laughs> like, in that, in that, in that cloud scene, where in most productions, uh, they have Polonius being a flatterer, and in this production, Polonius is like, very like a bear. Mm-hmm. You're the king's son. I have to do this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so I guess I don't know I just feel like it's sad that people
0: didn't see the Nicholas Heitner R- Rory Kinnear, <laughs>
2: <which is right laughs> I feel like later. we're doing a podcast about the wrong Hamlet for you Alex
0: <laughs> <laughs> maybe uh, a little bit Oh, I, I that say- one was just so amazing but I think it also helps me like understand how important a good director was because I think in that Hamlet Rory Kinnear got praised like he's the greatest Hamlet ever and I think he was a great Hamlet but so much of what made him great was he had a great production to support everything he was doing with a lot of really good thought that went into it, and part of where Benedict Cumberbatch is, where it's like eh, he's okay, is like it's. I don't know that it's his fault. It's like if the director doesn't know what she's doing, how can you have a
3: coherent Hamlet? Mm-hmm. Yeah. On the and subject, would, sorry, Craig, you go.
2: Uh, sure, I'll, I'll I'll jump in. I would I would just argue with you somewhat. I agree that maybe it's. I, I also didn't get a really strong, solid takeaway from this production. I think. If I were to assess it, I would say they had a, they tried a lot of interesting things, but didn't really see them through. I had snippets of, I thought the like Rosencrantz and Guildenstern was really interesting the first couple of times they appeared, and then it kind of dwindled off, and and that relationship kind of disappeared. I thought parts of the relationship with Ophelia and with Gertrude were really interesting, but none of it was really seen through all the way to the end. But I, so I think that like ultimately, it. It might not be the most successful production, but there's definitely things in it that are that are worth seeing. Okay, like what? Oh, you're, you're going to be that harsh. Um, uh, well, so, I think that, I mean, so as a re- as a revisiting of a production, I think the textual changes are interesting to think about to see whether they're successful or not. And I agree that some of them I thought were like were maybe for not, but I don't think all of them were. like I think the moving the to be or not to be speech. To immediately after the uh, the argument with uh, with Polonius, the words, 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 except my life, that gave it a lot more uh, motivation to me than where it than normal other productions I've seen where it comes in the normal textual place.
0: Like it, you feel like it comes too late normally.
2: I think so, and and it's sort of it's hard to see where it comes from. Often I I struggle to see the motivation for Hamlet when he when he starts that speech, but there there's been sort of this entire emotional buildup. And, and thematically, you know, the, the end of that conversation with Polonius, that there's nothing I'd rather give except my life. Actually, I never thought about the connection before, but it leads quite naturally into the to be or not to be speech.
3: Mm. It does, actually. I thought that, too. And the way they, they signal it with um, he has this noose thing around his neck, um, which I think I'm right. Um, he's kind of pulling up as if it we're a hangman's noose when he says, except mm-hmm. my life. Yeah, that's yeah. how I call and- and he takes it off at the end of the to be or not to be speech where he's basically saying, um, I would kill myself, but I can't. Um, I disagree that the speech normally comes too late. I mean, I think Hamlet, in a sense, is all about that speech. It's it's the most famous speech, not just because it's the best written speech. It's also, he spends the entire play teetering on the edge of suicide, essentially, or at least you can play him that way. Um, and this is the speech given a quiet moment at any point, you can kind of imagine Hamlet bubbling out into this existential despair, right? Um, So it's it's kind of a natural way to start from zero. If you've if you've imposed a pause on the story, what's Hamlet going to do? He's going to talk about killing himself. But I agree that that rearrangement does seem to work really well.
0: Yeah, you know, actually, I think that one of my problems with production is that I thought Hamlet had too much peace. He had too many quiet moments to himself. For a play that's basically about him being constantly interrupted, I did not feel like that was really happening on the stage all the time. Whereas I've seen productions, like, okay, to compare it back to the Nicholas Heitner production, a lot of the time, (laughs) Hamlet's, like, depressed in that, and he spends a lot of time in his room, and, like, he just cannot get a moment's peace. People just keep barging in on him, like, here's Rosencrantz and Guildenstern, here's Horatio, here's, like, Gertrude and Claudio, Claudius and he just like can't get a moment's peace and that's like part of what drives him crazy is that he doesn't have time to think and he needs time to think um, like to himself I mean obviously Hamlet is the overthinking play but um, and that even when he gets a chance to do a a soliloquy and talk to the audience There's always some sort of surveillance going on that, that that play was very much Production was very much about a surveillance state And there's always like security guards on stage Just sort of like walking around and, he, and he's very conscious of the fact that he's under surveillance And I felt like this Hamlet had Too much peace Like I just didn't buy that Denmark was the same kind of prison for him As, it, as he's talking about
3: hmm. We do open with him sitting peacefully on the stage mm-hmm. gloomily listening to music yeah, uh, and it seems like he's been there for quite a while. Yeah,
1: what did we think of that opening?
3: Liked
0: it. I liked how it brought us in. I did kind of feel like Hamlet was one note for several scenes, where all he was was yes, just kept crying. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Little moapy, <well.
0: laughs> which um, I guess is a common problem because this is this the the production we saw at, at the Stratford Festival in Ontario had the same problem that we saw in the summer and I was that's why I didn't like the first half is I was like all he did was moan there was none of that like (laughs) dark humor and sarcasm where is like where is my funny hamlet Mm -hmm. um and then it picked up in the second half in that production and I think it gets a little better in this one but I think a lot of it is still like I'm sad okay now I'm angry like now I'm bitchy and like now I'm sad
2: so what I liked about this opening in this production was it let, especially paired with cutting the first scene, yes. is it let us focus on his emotional state and stay tuned in on him. Yes, so then sorry. even in the banquet scene, as the dialogue's going on, and actually this was one part where I thought the film direction was fairly good because it let us see his reactions, which I think were really key in this of, mm-hmm. you know, the eye rolling and mm-hmm. just the moping and totally dismissing and
1: drinks at the table. You'll notice yes drinking
0: and that was also interesting too because usually when you see that scene hamlet is usually off to the side he's not Mm -hmm. in the middle of like the table like just amongst everyone else he's almost i've always seen it directed as him like separate somehow Mm -hmm. and he's like moping and being like oh this is so awful um and whatever being snarky but he's always off to the side whereas this he's like actually in the scene like he's in the banquet and So, I think you're right that also having close-ups of him, like, rolling his eyes helps to single out, like, it creates that space almost, but, like, while you still feel that he's part of it. Right. So, I don't know, maybe it doesn't work as well on stage because there's too much distraction.
3: What did you all think of the ghost? Total silence.
0: (laughs) 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 Oh, okay. Okay. What one of my problems with the ghost is how it was staged, that Hamlet is on a uh, on a balcony and the ghost is on the ground. And that seems kind of backwards to me. Like, Hamlet can't get to the ghost because there's a railing. And it's sort of weird to see. I mean, I've only ever seen it staged as, like, the ghost is either at the same level as him or he's higher up. Um,
3: is that a problem, though? I mean, step away from the other stagings for a moment. Yeah. Why is that actually a problem?
0: Um, well, I mean, I think it was interesting, but also it's just...
3: He's on the castle battlements. He's looking down. The ghost might be lower than him. It might, be, it might be on a lower bit of the battlements. He might well be looking over a railing around a curve of the castle.
0: It just sort of like felt like a weird artificial separation between them. Uh,
3: hmm. Well, that's interesting in itself, but I was really asking what did you think of the guy who played the ghost? And, okay, my, my particular point was that I, apart from the fact that his his voice just drove me crazy. Um, <laughs> I, I, I couldn't cope with his accent at all. I started perceiving him as a Monty Python ghost after a while. <laughs> <laughs> and,
0: I mean he is like a great... I imagine
3: did some violence on my experience desert. of it, but he's meant to be the brother of Claudius and they have completely different accents. They sound like they come from different social strata <laughs> and different parts of England. So what is going on with that?
0: Yeah, and he's doing the same accent as the Gravedigger.
3: Gravedigger. so it does strange not strange enough,
0: yes. <laughs> Like, well, I mean, it's the same actor, but he's not doing no. two different accents. Like he's not doing a patrician accent for the ghost. And then.
3: Well, it sounded like, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a somewhat, it's a somewhat remnant patrician accent that he does as a gravedigger, digger, I suppose. I thought it was a slightly different accent, but it's just so patrician and, and not just patrician. It's kind of mock patrician. It's, it's um, the kind of patrician accent you'd get on stage um, in a student production at, at one of the great universities or, or, or something. Um, really, really exaggerated and I started hearing it as completely false, especially when he starts raging um, mm-hmm. that he's allowed to die with all his SINS UPON MY HEAD it's, I, I couldn't accept Hamlet's response to it as genuine because I couldn't accept it as genuine
0: It I,
1: was.
0: Go ahead. Oh, I mean, I was going to say, I think I agree with you on the performance I didn't have a problem with the accent I mean I didn't really think about it I've seen that actor in a bunch of other productions and I think that's just how he talks he was hilarious in noises off he had he played like a robber I think basically and he was also in the Frankenstein with Benedict Cumberbatch where he played the blind man that um, the monster befriends mm-hmm And I just thought that's how he talked because I think that's, he sounded the same in both, like he has a weird accent. I don't know what it is. So that didn't, but I, I did also feel like there was something weird about his, how he sounded. I just thought that that's kind of like how he sounds. I don't know if that makes
2: sense. (laughs) And the ghost just didn't leave a, that scene didn't leave a strong impact on me. Maybe it was merging them together sort of collapses the impression of the ghost, but it, it, to me, it turned it more into a, sort of plot point they had to check on their way through the story rather than a meaningful scene of its own. Yeah, that's yeah. Nice.
3: I, I thought the way he was um, lit was actually quite effective. Before he started speaking, when he was this rigid figure in this pillar of green light, um, I found him quite visually arresting. It's like, oh, that's, that's someone who looks spectral and strange. Um, I, I would be very curious about this too. And then he opens his mouth and it all goes to hell.
1: It's just interesting if uh, you've put me on this train of thought now, because if you compare the way the costumes are designed, the ghost is in this sort of beat up, torn up military uniform and clearly suggesting that he's a war hero, whereas Claudius, the first thing we see him in is this, his military dress whites, which are sparkling and it's his wedding. Um, and the, like they're clearly trying to draw this comparison as opposed to the mar- about the martial might of these two men, but really, Claudius comes off as a much more menacing and imposing figure, mm-hmm. which I think is the opposite of the impression that this production is trying to create.
0: Which is probably, I mean, going back to how it's staged, it probably doesn't help that he's so much further down than Hamlet, and at the back, that that doesn't make him menacing, and then you put him in
1: rags. You know, You're, I feel I feel like the rags could have worked in the right setting,
3: but no, the, no, I
0: agree with you on that. But I feel like there's a on you know,
3: the production design. That's absolutely right. But the Claudius performance is so strong, and mm-hmm. I'm, mm-hmm. I have difficulty imagining that they didn't know what they had. Um, I have difficulty imagining that there wasn't, in some sense, of trying to deliberately work around the the strongest figure on the stage. He's a very, very mm-hmm. domineering king. Um... Mm-hmm. That's a good thing. But, I, but would right. say
2: also, I was just going to say, also in terms of just the set design, there's a it's a large portrait. It's of the old Hamlet, is it not, hanging on the wall for the entire production? Yep. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it, that's the challenge I think of transitioning it to film is we don't get that. But I think
3: mm-hmm. there's a
2: chance that on the stage production that does have a stronger impact than we get.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. It's
0: yeah, I think, I mean, one of my problems with this, with the staging generally is I thought that the stage was too big and that they didn't really create good spaces, smaller spaces within it. Um, for most of the play, it's a giant space with a large table, and one of my problems with, like, with the Polonius, Laertes, Ophelia group is that their first scene together, it happens at the end of that table, and I never got the sense of them actually being a family and being connected in some way, and so then... The tragedy that happens in the end, I felt like it's harder to understand why Ophelia falls apart because I never really felt like Polonius was really her dad, and I don't I had trouble finding like understanding why, like emotionally understanding why Laertes falls apart because I never really felt like he had a connection with his sister. And I think that's partly because you had this giant stage and they never created like a space for the family.
1: Also, because well, the two actors had no chemistry. That too, yeah.
3: I thought the brother sister connection felt beautifully real at the moment where they're both sitting at the piano. Which yeah. she starts,
0: yes, um, I agree with that.
3: that was I thought used the piano quite well throughout, actually. Um, I didn't much like Ophelia or Laotes individually, yeah. um, but I did like them in that moment.
0: Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. The piano was a really nice touch.
3: As to the issue of the space, um, it's a little hard to judge, obviously, when we're seeing it filmed. I, I don't know if you've read reviews of the, of the stage production, but... I thought they used lighting quite effectively to create the sense of a smaller space in quite a number of the scenes. Um, The the trade-off for that did seem to be a kind of surrounding gloom. They'd be in these little puddles of light um, with vast echoing darkness around them. So it was a little bit like creating a smaller room within the stage.
2: But for so much of that, we had close-ups anyway that it was hard to be sure.
3: Hmm.
2: That's right. Yeah. With the with the camera angles they chose, it's hard to sort of get that contrast of the large space or small space, which and I agree. I I actually liked the scale of the the stage. I thought the depth of stage would probably be quite arresting in person. And I just kept longing for that experience of seeing the actors in that space, which clearly we weren't going to get in this uh, film version.
3: There's that one moment when Ophelia makes her final exit into this white shaft of light right down at the back of the stage that I did get yeah. a sense of depth, but, but you're right. I mean, that contrasts powerfully with the rest of it where that sense just wasn't there at all.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think I have mixed feelings about the, the, the size of the stage too because I think that when they, when they fill it with ash, I think it, I mean, I think they do it too soon because then it's like, what was the point of the last two acts? You're like, I get it, it's over. And then you have to listen to two more acts where it's like, okay, now everybody's dead but like, they didn't need to telegraph it that much. Like they're already in rubble. Um, I the- thought
3: rubble was completely ridiculous. <laughs> um, the, I it too. The, the moment where it blows onto the stage was fantastic. I, yes. Particularly, yes. I, I yes. particularly liked the way that we were, we were in close on Claudius and he was giving this really dramatic reading of a speech. Um, he's sending Hamlet off to his death, do it England. And then you go wide and there's ash everywhere. Yeah. And then, cut to the intermission, fantastic. And, then and I thought acts. they
2: were cleaning up the stage during the intermission. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> like, and I And th- I came back and I thought, why is it still there?
0: Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> I think it was a really great image, and then it was like, okay, just in order to get this image, they, they were stuck with it for two mm-hmm. whole acts, and then they didn't have proper... They didn't have a way of using the stage for all of those scenes, because they didn't have anything on stage. They just had, like, rubble, and then the stage got too big, and... And it was also, like, you know, hitting you over the head, like, in case you (laughs) didn't understand what was going on.
3: Yeah, I was trying to read it it as a kind of externalization of Ophelia's madness, but it's just, it doesn't really work. I mean, why are the other characters walking around in in the detritus of her emotional collapse? Why would you do that? What is it saying? It doesn't actually say anything. It's just we've got all this ash, and we have to fucking do something with it. it.
0: yeah, I mean, I thought it was more about like the kingdom being destroyed. Like, I did see one production of Hamlet that was set on top of a decaying swimming pool, which had like furniture and. It, yeah, I got in there and was like, "Oh God, what's going to happen?" <laughs> I, I was like really worried. They actually did a really good job of it, and they did, it was really interesting and in how they used how they ended up using it. Um, and how it created like different levels and how the fact that you had a pool created like a an, a new level for an actual stage. So you felt like people were actually performing within the within the play. Because mm-hmm. they had a literal stage within the stage. And so in that way they like they had us they still had a symbol of the, the kingdom is in decay, but they had ways of using it and going around it. Whereas I felt like this where it was okay, it's full of rubble was nice for a minute, but then two whole acts of it. Like, I just felt like, just end. I really wanted it to end because I felt like, okay, I get it. It's, it's the king. It's all over. But then they didn't, I also didn't feel like it was, that they, that it felt like they got lazy with the text. Like, I didn't really feel like when we got to the gravedigger scene that it was really all about how the gravedigger is just outside the palace and does not give a shit about their family drama.
1: Oh, really? I thought the gravedigger scene this was extremely effective.
0: I mean, I thought the acting was really good. I just thought mm-hmm. the staging, like, my part of my problem with it is it felt like that because the whole set is technically inside the palace, mm-hmm. that then the grave became, like, inside the palace. Like, they sort of made it, tried to make it a little outside by with what they did with the lighting, but it still felt to me, like, because of the staircase, like, that it was inside the palace. And so then the whole effect of the fact that the grave digger is, like, just outside the palace and does not give a shit about what's going on just inside the palace. I felt like that was lost.
3: I think it certainly did some damage to it. I mean, it did, it blurred the indoor outdoor distinction. I tended to, to experience it as they're outdoor all the time. Um, There, this is, this is some kind of soil that they're all moving through. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I didn't think it really damaged that scene. I I agreed. Actually, I, I I liked that scene a lot, particularly the throwing of the skulls. I haven't seen that Mm -hmm. done before. (laughs) I, I rather loved it.
0: Yeah, I thought he was a great gravedigger. I just didn't like this, this
2: set for it. I think overall, I think we can agree we're not big fans of the uh, the set. <laughs> or at least as the set translated into film.
1: Uh, it's like... Yeah. Okay, I I had high hopes when we... You know, they do the big reveal in the first scene of the staircase and the chandeliers and mm-hmm. the banquet table. Um, I thought, okay, this production is definitely on the Go Big or Go Home bandwagon. But it looks spectacular in an icy way that I thought worked very well as this sort of freezing kingdom in which no one trusts anybody else, but there is this broad sense of grandeur and appearance that defines how people relate to one another. Uh, And I thought that huge, gorgeous, visually arresting set was a very nice introduction. And then they kept using these huge visually arresting motifs and at a certain point it just became distracting. Like... Have, yeah. And I think they kept some of those
0: things on stage too long. Yes, Like like the banquet table, I thought that was a really effective... I mean, aside from the fact that it was a little silly that they were like Claudius, or that they were like Polonius and Polonius stands up. And they're like now Laertes and Laertes stands up. Right. Like, it was on the one hand it was an effective, okay, now I know who everyone is, but on the other hand it was a little, a
1: little
0: dorky. A little dorky, yeah. Um, like, I thought that worked really well for the first scene. But then they, this, the table was there for a really long time past where it was useful. And then the same thing was true of the little stage that they brought in for the players. Mm. Like, that was fine for when they needed it. And then it was kind of silly to me that that was the Arras behind which Polonius was killed.
2: Yeah, I didn't know quite what to make of that. On one hand, I feel like that might have been one of those big ideas moments where <laughs> you know, they're trying to add that performative element. Like from a from a logical perspective, it didn't seem to make much sense. Like is is this supposed to be just a curtain now, or is this still the player's stage? And I never quite squared that circle, but I I found it intriguing in that moment. Although I I I mean in given the alternative which probably would have been a barren stage filled with rubble uh, <laughs> i was i was okay with it but yeah, I, I agree some of the some of those choices were a little little strange
0: yeah i mean it also seemed to me like they spent a lot of time on the first act of the play like there seemed to be a lot of density of direction and thought that went into that and then by the end it was like it's rubble get it and then they didn't like think about like like it, it seemed like they ran out of time in the rehearsal process
3: I found the staging of the final duel particularly strange. It seemed to be just all over the place, uh, literally all over the place. They were running around all over the place. But a lot of, there were, there were lots of bits of business going on in it that I just couldn't make sense of physically. Like, okay, we, we need to make sure that these swords change hands because the poisoned one has to at some point nick both of them. Um, but the, the physical logic they used to achieve that seemed pretty much random. And there's this very, very strange thing they do where they cut to um, slow motion and green light it um, at the moment where Hamlet is about to, for a very, very long time, he's about to.
2: um,
3: (laughs) And they use a very similar visual technique to the one they've used to um, cut out the soliloquies. So in this production for any soliloquy where there are other people present on the stage, mm-hmm. they do this for To Be or Not To Be, but for all the other soliloquies, um, they put green light on, and everybody else goes into extreme slow motion in the background, um, which I, I found reasonably effective, actually. I quite yeah. like Yeah, I um, agree. Then Agreed. they do it for this one moment of the duel, and I try to make sense of this in terms of it in some way, either externalising what Hamlet is thinking, I'm going to kill him now! This is me killing him! See me killing him? Um, <laughs> or maybe that it was only happening in his head, but that's completely nonsensical. I mean, there there is no way... It was
1: a production at seen. the Young Vic, actually, that took exactly that stance. Moving on, it was a terrible
3: production.
0: <laughs> sorry, Michael Sheen. Uh, now,
3: now <laughs> sorry, I'm not sorry. Um, but, but no, I mean, basically, they they had this thing in their bag of tricks. They'd been using it for the soliloquies. Mm-hmm. and They'd whip it out again, and... It complicates the text to no purpose whatsoever. Um, and the staging was already really, really busy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just bugged me. And it's, it's almost the last thing, um, obviously, that Hamlet gets to do. So, uh, yeah, I think you're right. It, it, or at least I think it's plausible that by the time they got to that part of the play, they'd used up all their brains, they'd used up all their time, and they threw it together really fast. Maybe, I don't know, either that or else purely by chance, um, the ending happens to be the sloppiest part of the whole production, but it did annoy me.
0: Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I I agree with you, and one of the problems I had with that scene, too, is when Gertrude drinks the poison, it's like she just picks up the cup, and everyone's like, oh, whatever, whereas... Yeah,
1: cup? people seem weirdly nonplussed.
0: There's, There's normally a... like Claudius is oh, normally it's... like, oh, shoot, don't, don't drink it, Gertrude, like, give it to Hamlet. But
3: also, also, this is the only production I've ever seen, and oh, okay, I haven't seen that many, where... She drinks the poison with a sense of knowingness. So the way she says, no, forgive me, my lord, I, I must drink, or whatever her line is,
1: mm-hmm. she,
3: the way she says it conveys the sense that she knows what she's doing. Somehow she's understood that it's poison and she's chosen to die. How she's understood it and why she's chosen to die are completely obscure. But it's the only sense I could make of the inflection she gives the line. Did, I, did, did any of you get that?
2: That yes. was the same sense that I had of yeah, that scene. Yeah. I thought she knew, and the logic I imposed on it dated back to my reading of her maternal love and being in on the game with Hamlet at that point. She was doing it to protect her son. I agree. I agree. Yeah. yeah. Rather,
3: than, rather than pour the poison out. You'll <laughs> be masochistic,
1: Mom? I don't know. Oh, this is
3: Hamlet. Uh,
0: <laughs> well, I think also, I mean, usually, I think the way I've normally seen it staged is just, like, she drinks when other stuff is going on, almost, and then it's like, oh, shoot, we couldn't stop her. Whereas they put so they gave her so much time to, like, languor over, okay, now I'm going to drink it. I'm going to drink it, and nobody stops her.
1: Actually, that kind of made sense to me in this play, uh, particularly given the way they uh, staged the scene between Hamlet and Gertrude and Gertrude's uh, room. Because I feel like it it was sort of... If she pours it out, then there's no way to know it's poison, right? But if she dies, everyone knows that the king poisoned the cup that was meant for Hamlet. Everybody there knows
3: that. Very good. Very good. Yeah, okay. That does make sense. Yep. That's that's smart. What do you make of the fact that they gave the line, um, the drink, the drink, I am poisoned, they gave that to Horatio?
1: I just thought that was strange. I did not understand that. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm something crucial, but honestly, it struck me as odd. See? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Didn't they give some lines to other people that, like, were not theirs? Yes. Now that I'm thinking of it, like, that didn't make any sense. I don't necessarily remember what I'm... I just remember thinking, oh, that doesn't make sense.
1: And they also sedulously edited out any mention of sex between Hamlet and Ophelia. Uh, right down to uh, removing the word hoary in terms of describing an oak.
3: Mm. Or the willow. It's he does, like, he does
1: say country matters. He does he say country matters. But if you, like,
3: not only- loud- pardon me? He says it loudly and with undue emphasis.
1: <laughs> In case you didn't get it, country matters.
3: Yeah.
1: That I actually understand, though, because, I mean, if you say country matters too, people nowadays, they sort of look at you blankly, <laughs> without understanding that this is slang for, like, sex. Mm-hmm. So that kind of makes sense to me, even if it's a little cheesy. Um, but if you go back to particularly Gertrude's description of Ophelia's suicide, they 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 edit out anything that could even have any mention of sex. Like Gertrude says, uh, one of the flowers that Ophelia is surrounded by are long purples, and the text, the line that follows that is something like, "Which our good shepherds call by a grosser name." Um, that's been removed.
0: Well, isn't all of the fla- Like, Ophelia's handing out flowers is removed also. No, that was there.
1: That's
2: it.
0: No, well, part of it is removed.
1: Yes, they cut out a chunk of stuff from Ophelia's crazy scene, including the suggestion that she slept with
2: Hamlet. Right. Huh. I hadn't noticed that. That's interesting. Yep.
1: I remembered a huge chunk of that scene was cut. hmm And they move a lot of stuff around in there in ways that don't make a lot of intuitive sense, I don't think. Like, they oh import lines from other characters during Ophelia's Madness, just so you can be real sure. Like, the play wants you to be very clear that everybody drove her crazy, and here are the specific ways in which all of the other characters drove her crazy.
0: Oh, right. Speaking of things that were deleted, and... Sorry.
1: I, mm-hmm. um, no, no, no. Continue. I'm just... I'm rolling my eyes at the production, not at you. Um,
0: <laughs> no, I. Mean, I just... I'm worried about changing the subject, but... When Claudius is like, why, why is Hamlet so upset? I think they cut out the line, didn't they? Where Gertrude is like, I'm sure it's nothing more than our or hasty marriage. And
1: No, they, they left the line in, but I think they put it in a different place.
0: Oh, that's why it <laughs> that's was. That doesn't
2: sound like this production at all.
0: <laughs> it's like That is the line and it did, didn't come where I was expecting it.
1: Yes, I thought they cut it as well and then it showed up later.
0: Oh, I missed when it came back. I just it noticed came... it was not where it should be.
1: It came back when they were talking about when they were basically when they were introducing Rosencrantz and Guildenstern.
3: Huh.
0: Oh my goodness. Okay.
3: <laughs> so what do you make of that? Why would you edit out all those sexual references? I mean, you've still got all the fairly grossly sexual parts of Hamlet's speech to Gertrude, right? So sex mm-hmm. per se is still in the text. Why do that? Why are you are you trying to are you trying to make Ophelia more of a good girl? What's going on with that?
2: I wonder if it's about purifying the relationship between Hamlet and Ophelia, because I got the strong sense in the scene where Polonius and Claudius are behind the door mm-hmm. and Hamlet and, and Ophelia returns the love letters. I saw that as like a like that seemed to pr- like set off Ham- set off Hamlet to the sense that I I saw that as sort of a, an actual love he had for her and was yes. and, and that because was the turning point him. where he realized he had to exclude her and 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 go off on her and leave her out of his antic disposition.
1: I would take a slightly less generous interpretation. Huh. <laughs> I think it's about making Hamlet a nicer guy. Because if if Hamlet's a love him and leave him type of guy or if there's even a way in which you can spin Hamlet as a love him and leave him, then he's no longer a sympathetic character. And this play, this production, is all about making Hamlet historically incredibly frustrating, to say the least. At least sympathetic, right? Because right, he's moping for like okay. for no. It's minute. not even because he's moping, right? Like there are there have been mopey Hamlets before, but like but
3: he's outpointed he's like you crying. That, that's yeah. fully consistent with with the opening, right? I mean, the, yeah, the force of the opening is essentially where with Hamlet, yeah, and mm-hmm. all of his lines in that opening scene are are done as naturalistically as possible. It's as close to the way you'd speak in the 21st century as possible. So yeah, yeah, I I agree. That's, that's a smart reading. We, we are to be with him and we are not to judge him negatively.
0: Yeah. I think that comes into when he comes back from England Mm -hmm. because it takes hurry I think they cut out some stuff with Horatio like it takes him a really long time to get judgy and <laughs> and I think they cut out some of the judginess
1: because Hamlet's first
0: like yeah whatever I killed Rosencrantz and Guildenstern and Horatio's no
1: like no big deal okay. murdered my two friends
0: and Horatio's yes, like okay do. which is not like how it goes how it goes like, Horatio's like that is not cool dude but that kind of really really is not foregrounded in this production
3: Mm-hmm. But am I am I right that they also cut out the scene where Ophelia tells Polonius um, how Hamlet has come to her and looked her in the eye and looked very disturbed and distracted? I was looking for it and I couldn't find it this morning. I'm pretty sure the scene's not there. I, I, I watched I watched the branner version of that scene with mm-hmm. with Kate Winslet, and mm-hmm. I found it really affecting, really powerful. Mm-hmm. Both. Both in that it strengthens my understanding of Ophelia, mm-hmm. um, she's incredibly distressed in that scene, mm-hmm. and it's it's also um, it also strengthens the sense that Hamlet is in pain and confused and doesn't know what's going on. So, um, given your reading of what they're trying to do, Ma, I would have thought that that was a really effective scene to leave in, and yet they don't.
0: Yeah, and they also have when. When Polonius is telling her to return the letters, it happens from behind his desk. Like, it's very transactional. Mm-hmm. And there's, there just doesn't seem to be a warmth between the two of them.
1: Oh, do you mean between... Uh... Ophelia and Polonius. Oh, that's quite true. They seem to have a very cold relationship, which makes Ophelia's madness all the more... Confusing. Yeah, perhaps it's because she like they they did do a very good job of like foregrounding her as an incredibly brittle person.
2: Yeah, Yeah.
0: right. But also, it, it just like if she doesn't have a strong relationship with Polonius, it's also like harder to believe that him being killed by the man that she is in love with would be so damaging.
1: On the other hand, just thinking of this now again, now that you say it, this production did a better job than some I've seen of conveying Ophelia's isolation. Yeah. Because it's like, her brother is gone. The man she loves is either crazy or has left her, or both. And now her father, who, while of dubious value emotionally, was definitely a a strong figure in her life, is gone. She's got nobody. And Gertrude, when she goes crazy, won't even see her. Yeah. 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 And
0: she does want, like, they really do have that dramatic walk off by herself into the void
1: yeah definitely mm-hmm. and like i thought it was kind of interesting that this play was entirely unambiguous that she was going to commit suicide Yeah, yes. it's not oh she <laughs> fell in a river because she wasn't paying attention because she's crazy it's like nope she's deliberately going to kill herself
3: and gertrude so clues into
1: yes. yes
3: um side note what do the three of you make of the bits of business with the camera Ophelia is taking pictures oh, of right. Um, right. the go- the goblet that will later on hold the the poison draught, I believe. Oh, okay. And later on, after she's lugged her sta- her um she's lugged this trunk onto the stage. Right. Um, of it's full of photographs. She's, she's gone off to kill herself and Gertrude gets down on her knees and makes a real business of slowly unlocking the trunk. I mean it takes a while, it takes about right. 30 seconds, opens the trunk, sees the pictures. Sees the camera, there's this aha moment, and she gets up and runs off the stage after Ophelia in some distress. So I didn't quite follow what the logic of that was meant to be.
2: So I wasn't, it, it wasn't a huge fan of it. Um, I did read a review of the production that that seemed to really like. The, you know, the the camera was basically just a symbol for Ophelia's gentle artiste, very fragile, very sort of removed and observant of the world, um, which I don't fully buy. The trunk I get more of in that she, like, you know, was abandoning the last worldly possession she seemed to care about. So that seemed to, like, just really drive home the suicide point. But beyond that, I didn't get a lot from it.
3: Okay, so what Good Food is meant to be understanding is, oh, these were all her treasures. She's left them behind.
2: Oh no! I must dot dot dot. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's the best logic I can apply to it. I don't know. Does anyone else have a different view?
0: I thought Gertrude took way too long to run after Ophelia. Yeah, and like I was like, if she's figured it out, why didn't she stop her? She it seemed like she was like, oh, Ophelia's gonna kill herself. Yeah, okay. And then like, oh, maybe I'll go after her.
3: So I seem to be making more and more arguments in favour of the original suggestion that this is in fact a fiasco of a production. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, 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 it's I, a fiasco I, with some good points, but...
3: <laughs> <laughs> but little yeah. bits of business like that really do seem to point to the notion that this this was really shabbily put together. There's lots of things floating around that they just didn't think through properly and didn't integrate into it properly.
2: Maybe haphazard is a kinder word than fiasco. <laughs>
1: Yeah, but Haphazard doesn't quite convey the sense of thwarted ambition that really defines this, like, uh, very grandiose staging. I mean, they failed big. Yeah, exactly.
2: But if, So if I can toss out something else about Hamlet, because I've just been thinking about it now that we were talking about the relationship with other characters. I, I, I want to see how you guys react to this. I feel like he was struggling for connection the entire play and really trying to look for allies. And I think that betrayal was maybe one of the themes they brought through more in this production than others I've seen, where he allies with Ophelia at the beginning, and then when she returns the letters, he feels betrayed and turns on her. And the same with Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. He was quick to bring them in and trust them, and then the betrayal seemed more absolute in contrast.
1: Yeah, it's a, con- it's a, talking to Alex specifically, it's a significant contrast to the production we saw this summer, where pretty much from day one, Hamlet was like, nobody but Horatio.
0: Yeah, and it's also, that was also the case with Nicholas Heitner's production, is mm-hmm. that Hamlet, I mean, because there were literal, like, security guards on stage the entire time, and there was always surveillance, Hamlet was very, very aware that he could not trust anybody but Horatio, um, and then like even the nunnery scene it was like he was being an asshole to Ophelia because he knew he was being watched Not because he was just
1: being he felt personally betrayed, right? Like it it was
0: wasn't right. It, the performance was not for her. It was for hmm. Polonius and Claudius
3: right. Okay That's interesting though. I'll have to watch that scene again um to get a sense of whether I agree with you, but I, I did I found that scene odd the way the two of them play it. Um, Cumberbatch seems so warm at the start, and then he just switches into Nasty Bastard. And perhaps it is a response to having his treasures returned. I didn't read it that way, but I wasn't quite sure how to respond to it, actually. I mean, they, they rip the guts out of it. About half the scene is missing. And it, it didn't quite work for me. And it also didn't quite not work for me. I just wasn't sure what to make of it.
1: Correct me if I'm wrong. I may have been misreading this. But in that scene, they, they play it as though Hamlet eventually realizes that he's being observed, yes? Because that's why he ends up talking to the door at one point. He realizes not only is Ophelia apparently breaking up with him, but she's set him up.
2: You're right. I don't think he's realized surveillance at the beginning of the scene, but partway yeah, through yeah. he seems to clue in.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, the- I, and I don't think there's an awareness of general surveillance
3: throughout that- that's a perfectly sensible reading of it, but I don't think it's a sensibly staged scene. I, mm. I he's so distraught when he turns to the door. Uh, it's it's the um, those who are married now, all but one. <laughs> um, he takes it so over the top. It didn't it didn't seem a moment of understanding so much as a kind of random yelling at the walls, like my mother's out there somewhere. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And there was no moment where I saw him realise that he was being surveilled. There was, there was just that sudden address to the door. It seemed somewhat random. Mm-hmm. So I took it to be, he's distressed. And by coincidence, he's speaking to the door, which doesn't really, <laughs> which doesn't <laughs> really make sense either. Why would he do that? I mean, why would they have him do that? They know that. We know <laughs> that. There are people behind the door. But it, it seemed less than fully coherent to me. Less than fully coherent. How's that for the production? Yes,
1: I think we can all agree on
0: that. Yeah. What do you think about the scene where Hamlet walks on stage in his dumb red coat and his, (laughs) uh, sorry, I guess I'm being a little biased in my description, (laughs) with the drums and he's like, look, I'm entering. And he's playing the drums and he's wearing that red coat that says King
1: on the back. Oh, no, the red coat doesn't say king on the back. No, it doesn't. It's something else that says king on the, the red, back. The red coat is his fake soldier coat, which right. is the first of Hamlet's amazing coats. <laughs> um,
3: the coat he, of the king is what he puts on for the players.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah.
0: Um, which we need to talk about that scene. Um, yeah, what did you think about that entrance where he's, like, walking, speaking of slow-mo, walking really slowly on the table?
3: Damn it, I, I, I need to... I need to circle back to the fact that I mostly liked Cumberbatch because I have to agree with you that I thought that moment was awful. I I thought that
1: was was being inflicted on him.
3: Yeah. (laughs) Okay, good, good. I
0: mean, in the the National Theater, when they screened it at my cinema, I don't know if you guys saw this too, they had like an intro with Benedict Cumberbatch where he was like, I have to eat so much before I go on stage so that I don't lose (laughs) weight. (laughs) <laughs> and I sort of felt badly during the production because I was like, "Oh, he's working so hard. He's burning so many calories. And what is it for?" <laughs> <laughs> like, especially because some of the dumb stuff she has him do is really physical. Yeah, yeah. There's a
2: lot of physicality,
0: and it's like I see you working really hard, and it's just sad
1: that it. It's not your fault. so much physicality. It's amazing that they couldn't use the space better.
0: <laughs> and it's like, you're doing a really good job, but it's just like, why did they make you do this? I'm so sad for you. I'm sorry.
2: Ironically, they used to like the space the transitions.
0: Yes. 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 I totally agree with you on that.
2: I thought the scene transitions were fantastic. And I mean, we can, I hope at some point we talk about the like, like the militaristic theme they like really played up and then entirely forgot about. But yes. uh, the scene transitions, I thought that they, they, they added content to them and the like, and I kept getting confused as an audience member because I, it almost felt like they are acting the fast forward. So authentically, I wondered if they had actually just fast forward in an extraordinarily long scene transition. They clearly did. But I'm like, I think that whole sort of frantic nature of the scene transitions was a really interesting component. They added.
0: Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I was going to say that one of my, I, I don't know why they put the intermission at the end of act three given what they decided to do, because they had all that frantic running about the stage and it was like, okay, I feel, I feel us now rushing towards the end. And then it stopped and it lost all the momentum that they had just built up in the last couple of scenes. was like, I get it. We're tumbling towards the inevitable and we're moving and we're moving and we're moving. And, and then, okay, break for intermission. See you in half an hour. that's the end of this episode of the 21st folio next part of this discussion will be available to download on monday to keep up with the latest episodes subscribe to the 21st folio podcast on itunes for show notes and more information about the podcast please visit 7th-row.com that's s-e-v-e-n-t-h-r-o-w.com